Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Fair Points Podcast. Uh, my name is Adir Levitas. I'm a CEO and uh, founder of Ferropoint. Today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the industrial side, this time in Memphis, Tennessee, real estate industrial in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, we have here with us uh, great friends of ours, Mr. Brian Califf and Mr. Elliot Embry with uh, NAI Memphis. Brian is the EVP at uh, NAI Memphis, actively involved in all deals that were done uh, during the past few years, over 1 billion in transactions. I know Brian uh, uh, and Elliot for many years, deals together. And Elliot, uh, also in NAI, is more involved in the uh, landlord representations and tenant representation side uh, of the business. Uh, Brian and Elliot uh, work together closely many, many years and have been a great team with great uh, knowledge on the market and really good relationship with different owners, institutional and local uh, in town. So really happy to have you guys with us. Thanks for having us, Adir. We're excited to chat with you today. So uh, Brian, tell us uh, a little bit uh, about your career and maybe we'll hear a little bit about uh, Elliot really briefly so our audience can uh, understand a little bit uh, who's with us today. Yeah, sure. Um, so Brian Califf here with uh, NAI in Memphis, Tennessee. And I've been involved in commercial real estate here in Memphis uh, for 16 years, focusing mainly on industrial uh, and office real estate. And uh, typically, I focus on acquisitions and dispositions of investment properties that have tenants in place. I've uh, been doing that exclusively Memphis, Mississippi, Arkansas in the Southeast for a while now and um, working on a team with Elliot who focuses more on the on the leasing side of things. Yeah, dear, this is Elliot Embry uh, with NAI in Memphis. Appreciate you having us on today. I've been in the business for a little over 13 years, focusing on the industrial real estate market, um, majorly focused on landlord and tenant representation. Uh, and also had the opportunity to work with Fairpoint um, and some other markets across the country. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, well, this is very exciting uh, for me. I know you guys for about 10 years now. Uh, doing a lot of business, and I thought it would be great value uh, for our audience uh, to listen a little bit how you guys perceive the industrial real estate market today. So let's get right into it. Brian, how do you see today's dynamics uh, during COVID-19 uh, in the industrial market? Uh, are deals going, uh, uh, going across the other side? Do you see uh, transactions happening? Do you see the market freezing? What's your take in today's market during COVID? Uh, yeah, when COVID hit, um, I'd say late February, early March, there was a there was a freeze for about thirty days there. Then, starting April, May, June, uh, the industrial market really started to explode. We've seen, I think, two thousand twenty is going to end up being one of the busiest years for industrial. We've seen everything from acquisitions, dispositions on the investor side, and then on the tenant side. Uh, tons of leasing, uh, lots of lots of new companies coming to Memphis, looking to locate and open uh, distribution centers, and um, I think it's that way across the whole Southeast from what we're hearing from our colleagues. So, uh, you know, high demand for warehouse space as people shifted more to online retail, online shopping, quick quicker shipping times. There's just been a uh, increasing demand for tenants wanting more warehouse space. And that in turn is 
really driven the growth for 2020? Yeah, I think this uh, slowdown in economy uh, really did the opposite to the industrial sector as opposed to uh, lodging and uh, retail. Uh, and and that, that really uh, strengthened uh, the perception of industrial real estate, I think, in the eyes of investors. Um, Elliot, can you refer the same question, but from the uh, tenant's point of view? Do you see extensions or do you see short terms or, or is everything back into normal? Yeah, the uh, the deal velocity and activity um, during COVID has varied dramatically across the different product types. Uh, as Brian alluded to, we are seeing um, increased demand on the industrial side. From the tenant side, we're seeing um, all different varying types of requirements from people needing shorter term expansion space to carry um, more inventory on hand as, as onshoring we see, um, which we'll dive into a little bit later. We're also seeing a lot of term deals as well. And when you flip over to different product types like retail or industrial, I mean, it's a retailer office, you're seeing demand be very slow. Office sector is quite idle, um, while retail is essentially cold at this point. And then I think you're going to see a further evolution as far as how financing goes with uh, the hospitality sector. So it, uh, COVID has made a dramatic impact on uh, velocity across the different sectors. Do you see uh, that uh, labor is tougher to access from uh, uh, the operation standpoint, always the fact that there's uh, uh, that we're in an economic downturn actually makes uh, labor more accessible because I'm hearing different things. Yeah, from a um, from a labor standpoint, um, you know, labor has continued to be a challenge across multiple markets for people. But we're actually hearing from um, different end users that the availability of labor and qualified labor is actually increasing um, with the higher unemployment that they're seeing is bringing up some people um, that are now getting into the logistics and warehouse working space. I think that Memphis is one of those metro areas that are benefiting uh, from COVID with that respect because a lot of Memphis's economy is really based uh, on logistics, imp- workers and, uh, and managers. And so there's in Memphis, there's a pretty sizable uh, amount of people that are qualified uh, to run warehouses and operate them. So th- that really worked for the benefit of Memphis. So, uh, Brian, when we think about uh, Memphis and for our audience that is not really familiar with Memphis, so Memphis is one of the uh, top 15, I'd say, cities, uh, metro areas for industrial real estate, about 250 million square feet of, uh, of product. And it's mostly in, uh, in the state of Tennessee, but also in uh, northern uh, Mississippi. And uh, Memphis is known also as FedEx's global hub and headquarters. So, Brian, how's that linkage uh, between FedEx and Memphis has helped Memphis over the years? over the years. And how do you see that helping Memphis during COVID and in the future? Yeah, I think, um, as you said, you know, when people people think of Memphis, they probably see it as a smaller market. They think of Elvis Presley, Beale Street music, but FedEx is headquarters here. And that's a huge, huge drive. Our economy, from a logistics standpoint, they are, you know, flying planes in and out of here all day and night, delivering packages across the world. And I think what people are finally beginning to understand is Memphis is still a market that's well positioned in the country. Uh, We have one of the largest cargo airports. We have access to all the major railroads, great highway access for trucking. And more and more logistics companies are looking here because we still have 
you know, below market rent rates compared to warehouses across the country. When you put all the pieces together as far as access, infrastructure, labor, affordable cost of living, and then access to FedEx, which can get your package anywhere overnight, basically, it makes a whole lot of sense to have a fulfillment center or a distribution center here in Memphis, Tennessee. Following up on Brian's comments of FedEx, we are uh, fortunate to have FedEx headquartered here in Memphis. Uh, many people regard FedEx as a leading barometer of the economy and closely monitor what Fred Smith, founder and CEO of FedEx, has to say regarding global trade um, and being a leader indicator for really the global uh, economy as, as an overall. Um, with their largest hub located here in Memphis, it's a major draw to a wide range of customers from medical device distribution, laboratories, or e-commerce. Um, since it is their largest hub and founded here in Memphis, companies are able to receive 11.30 p.m. pickup night from their warehouse for an 8 a.m. delivery next the next morning. There's nowhere else in the world you can get that late of a pickup and still be insured the overnight delivery of FedEx. Uh, yeah, thanks for that, uh, for adding that. But I also think, uh, um, Elliot, that even though we're talking a lot about FedEx's contribution to the uh, Memphis metro uh, area, FedEx is actually not in charge of most of what's going through uh, Memphis. Uh, Memphis, uh, fortunately, have uh, additional forms of transportation. Can you give us a little bit of color of those additional forms? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Memphis has multiple factors which contribute, I think, to our very strong and robust industrial market. As you alluded to, not only home to the FedEx World Hub, uh, but we're centrally located with Interstate 55 and Interstate 240 uh, bisecting in Memphis, which lets the average truck driver reach 72% of the U.S. population within a two-day truck drive. And once you add on to that, all five class rail, class one rail lines have an intermodal facility in Memphis, plus having a robust inland port. Adding all those factors together really centralize Memphis and make us a hub for distribution. Yeah, that, that definitely uh, definitely makes sense. When you guys think about uh, the dynamics uh, of today's market, where the new construction is uh, coming online, uh, what happens in the older parts or infill location parts, how would you uh, uh, describe? Where do you see the new deliveries uh, coming up? Uh, how do you see the uh, smaller warehouses, infill location, last mile kind of product? Uh, how is that weathering today's uh, today's situation and overall in terms of you know vacancy, rent escalations, and stuff like that? Well, I think we 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 are seeing a tremendous amount of new uh, new construction, and that's mostly happening in North Mississippi, which is about a you know ten minute car drive from Memphis. Uh, the reason for that is they have um, still have large tracts of land. You know, Memphis is mostly developed. There's not any any huge pieces of land to build new buildings. Therefore, people are going to go over the border to Mississippi where they can really spread out and build a modern bulk distribution facility. Um, as far as Memphis goes, the older generation product, the B, I call it the B product that was built between 1970 and 1990 is also gaining in absorption due to online retail. So you're seeing a lot of buildings that have a little bit lower ceiling height, maybe a 20 or 22 foot ceiling instead of a brand new building, which is 36 foot that are um, 
that are gaining traction with tenants. I mean, the reason for that typically is because the product is moving in and out faster. They're not racking product as high for a long period of time due to all the online commerce ordering and how quick they need to get product in and get it out of the facility to people's houses, more like a last mile distribution facility direct to consumer. So it's interesting because uh, what what is being mostly built today across the United States and specifically in Memphis is what they call bulk distribution, which are larger warehouses, let's say 300,000 and above, and sometimes uh, could be a couple million square feet. But when looking in, on the inventory of uh, industrial, industrial inventory in the U.S., 60% of it is below 200,000 square feet. And that means out of 14 billion in inventory, 10 billion of square feet is below 200,000 square feet. That's to a coaster. So do you think that that, that that 10 billion square feet, specifically below 200,000 square feet per warehouse, those uh, warehouses, what we call urban distribution centers or class B, as you mentioned, or people call it last touch or, or last mile, uh, do you see them still being uh, relevant in uh, the e-commerce era? Adir, I think as long as we keep shop online and wanting our product faster and faster to our doorsteps, there will be a continued growing need for warehouses regardless of the ceiling height. Those last mile facilities are critical in in getting the product to directly to consumer. And I think that's really where all of online e-commerce is going. You know, when you order something on Amazon now, you expect it to get there in two days. And in those warehouses, those older you know, older generation warehouses are a real key piece in the industrial, you know, in the industrial economy of getting that product to your doorstep. And I think that's just going to grow in the future. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think that I know that 80 to 85 percent of the uh, in, uh, industrial operate from the operator's standpoint, from the tenant standpoint, 85 percent of what we see uh, costs is associated with uh, rent and uh, not rent. I mean, uh, labor and transportation. And from a tenant's perspective, if a tenant wants to come closer and compete with the Amazons of the world and, and have a shorter delivery time to consumers, uh, one of the ways that we've seen in, in, in many markets is that they go into that hub and spokes kind of model, that those spokes are really in infill locations, operations in infill locations close to consumers, and they would actually try to predict what kind of products should be in those locations by looking at the statistics of what is mostly being ordered so they would put that closer to those uh, consumer hubs. Do you see that also? Or do you have anything to add on that, uh, I guess, thesis? Yeah, um, I'll jump in there and, and to add to the importance of these urban infill locations, one thing that's imperative to keep in mind is they are typically located within the city, which the surrounding area within the city is already developed. So the demand for these warehouses will continue to increase because of their central location to the population and lack of available land to build future distribution centers within Memphis. And whether that's due to governmental zoning regulation or true just lack of available land to develop. But as the supply chain continues to grow, all the users are getting better at understanding what their consumer demand is, 
um, our consumer demand for a product in August in Memphis might be completely different than what somebody in Seattle is ordering in August in Memphis. So they are adapting their supply chain and inventory to be relevant to their customer demand right in that immediate area. Got it. So I think that we all agree that the functionality and the role that those smaller warehouses have to play would uh, continue uh, uh, in the near and uh, and probably afterwards uh, uh, future, uh, as they just become a key component, to um, minimize the time uh, between the product must get out of the warehouse and when it achieves uh, the hands of the uh, uh, of the consumer. If if that is if that is the case, and we talked about the fact that the supply is really constrained for those smaller properties, as there's not enough land, and most of the time they're still below replacement costs, so it doesn't really. Uh, so even if there was a little bit pieces of land, it's not really being uh, built unless it's a built to suit. So the supply and demand uh, equilibrium is pretty strong. So why do we see most of the industrial institutional investors? still really going uh, after those bigger bulk distribution. Uh, and uh, I guess, Brian, you can start us off. Yeah, so what you're seeing on that aspect is institutional investors are just what you would think. They're big investors. They, they have a hard time uh, being nimble enough to go in and buy a small deal and have a team in place to manage it, lease it, and you know, deal with its problems. It's much easier for them to buy something that's 500,000 feet, a million feet, uh, that's a bigger price target, bigger square footage target with one or two tenants to deal with. And I, and I think that is the real reason deal size, management headache, tenant quality that they focus mostly on class A bulk as far as their purchases. Some of this infill stuff is smaller product. You might have to buy a portfolio of, you know, 10 different buildings that are four, four to $5 million each. So it, it's a little bit more management intensive, more due diligence work to get a hold of it and really, you know, really understand how to make that deal happen. Elliot, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. Uh, as Brian said, um, a lot of it comes down to just mentality and how they want to approach different deals. Fairpoint has been successful in assembling those packages together, um, spending the time to do the due diligence, put the groundwork in to find find those deals and make them happen, which is, I think, as you'll see, assembling these packages of infill portfolios, key centers sub to 250,000 square feet. We see an increased demand and, and probably continued growth in that area more now than ever. Yeah, of course, guys. I agree with that, and I think there's there's there is a case for bulk distribution, uh, definitely, as those new specs, high buildings, uh, are, are the future of, of stacking and automation and everything that has to do with the modern supply chain. Uh, it is complementing and probably the backbones of the future supply chain, but uh, uh, by itself, it's probably not enough if you want to come closer to consumer and meet the uh, the new. Uh, deadlines. What I would think when purchasing a bulk distribution, and we're, we're engaged in, in 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 all sectors, in all subsectors here. But I would think that it is more important to look at your supply online deliveries that are coming, because uh, certain pockets in certain metros across uh, the United States, and specifically, uh, you could see that sometimes in northern uh, Mississippi, if it's DeSoto County or Marshall County. Uh, need to be careful and see what is your competition uh, going to look like in terms of price per food. And are you really buying uh, an opportunity? Because when there's availability of land, the risk and potential 
of oversupplying is on the rise. And the urban distribution centers, the smaller centers in the infill locations, are definitely more attractive from a standpoint, from a demand and supply standpoint, but it's a management headache. It's a feasibility challenge to those institutional uh, investors. So guys, thanks for yeah, clarifying uh, and talking this uh, uh, through. Looking at the uh, uh, capital markets, do you see the uh, big players of our industry purchasing stuff or selling stuff in our market in Memphis? Is Memphis an institutional market when it comes to industrial real estate? And if so, are those players uh, playing in the UDC and the bulk or just one of them? Yeah, correct. You know, Memphis is an institutional market. We've got all the major players here that are buying and selling. Right now, most everybody's buying as the trends of industrial or you know, just moving up in Memphis, the rates are, you know, average, average rent in Memphis is probably uh, mid $3, which is still below the rest of the country. And, you know, the absorption is growing every quarter. So most of the, uh, most of the institutions that we all know are buying here and they're really buying a mix of product from what I've seen, you know, some of the larger institutions, like we talked about are focusing on bulk, but then you have some of the industrial REITs that are picking off smaller portfolios and one-off one-off buildings that could be B or C buildings uh, that they see where the rents are going to grow in the future. I would say this year, 2020 is probably more active than I've ever seen from an acquisition standpoint. Do you guys think that the election that is uh, up and coming, uh, changing uh, tenants' perception or investors, or do you see that affecting the market in any way? Yeah, I, um, we, uh, and as Brian was talking about the uh, acquisition and disposition side of the business, um, from a lot of the large institutional players, we are still seeing um, strong activity from them on the development side as well. Um, Memphis currently has about 11 million square feet of speculative development of bulk industrial warehouse under construction. Um, and I think that's directly attributed to, if you look at our year, uh, everybody knows that 2020 has been a challenging year. And yet going into the end of the, the third quarter, um, we're at about 4 million square feet of positive absorption, which I think directly attributes to um, the developers' continued development of bulk warehouse and belief in the Memphis market. On the uh, election side, we are seeing some sellers uh, interested in potentially trying to sell for year-end as a Biden election is becoming more and more likely to potentially try to take advantage of existing capital gains rates before they pose to potentially change with an incoming new administration. Um, got it. So guys, uh, last question, looking into the future of logistics and industrial real estate, we hear more and more about automations. Uh, and I guess, Elliot, that's more of a question for you with your experience with tenants. Do you see automation being implemented or even thought about more than in the past, uh, especially during COVID? Uh, automation is becoming more and more part of the conversation and requirements as you're speaking with different tenants as they're looking at facilities um, and the, the ability for them to adapt that facility to an automated environment. We are seeing not as much in the Class B product, the existence of automation and the operation just yet. That has typically been more focused in um, the picking process of the high-bay users and the Class A side. 
but it has continued to increase um, as part of uh, something that all the different users are looking at uh, is how they can drive efficiencies um, in their operations and in delivery to their customers. Yeah, definitely. We see that also in other markets as well. Same trend. Automation is here to stay, especially in COVID times where uh, there's a natural distance to be had between uh, warehouse uh, employees. Uh, so you see some fully automated warehouses, and I guess, but most of them are still uh, semi-automated uh, with robots that are, are collaborating with uh, uh, with people. Especially, I think, I'd say in the uh, urban distribution center, the smaller centers, we see less automation as product comes in and out, and there's no really thing uh, here. But in the bulk side, we see more and more if it's uh, uh, autonomous mobile robots uh, or if it's uh, a larger uh, systems, uh, but definitely something users are starting to uh, take more seriously, uh, especially when we see uh, 25 to 35% of new leasing and new absorption uh, coming from uh, e-commerce or related e-commerce uh, tenants. So guys, great, uh, great inputs today. And uh, we've covered many subjects uh, regarding uh, uh, Memphis industrial market and, and, and capital markets and everything in between. So that was a pleasure uh, to hear you out and uh, share that with our audience. Uh, so thank you so much for your time, and I hope to see you uh, in one of our next uh, podcasts. Thank you, Adir. I enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks, Adir. We appreciate the opportunity to talk with uh, you and your listeners. For sure, guys. And uh, uh, thanks to our audience for listening, and we'll see you on the next uh, Fairpoint podcast.